Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. Today is May 1st. I'm Shannon, and I'm here with Stacy and Brooke, also with a guest that I will introduce to you in just a moment. But we are here to talk about historical fiction. Now, someone Ooh. asked me how it was that we were going to talk about historical fiction, since it's such a wide genre. Like, there's not just, like, one thing that historical fiction covers. But this is sort of a... I don't know, like a roundup of historical fiction. So from any era, we were not specific about when our fiction had to take place, but basically just some of our favorite historical fiction titles. But here with us today is Amber Wallenstein, who I have known for several years and who loves historical fiction very, very much. So I thought that she would be a great addition to this episode. So hello, Amber. We are very glad to have you here. Thanks. I'm very happy to be here. I love historical fiction. So I'm pretty, it was pretty hard to narrow it down. Yeah. <laughs> Narrowing is, is not always the best. So before we get started with today's marvelous historical recommendations, I want to give the usual housekeeping information, which is... You can find us on Facebook by searching Book Bistro Podcast. Once you're there, you can like and or follow the page. You can also join our Facebook listener group where you can interact with us as well as with other podcast listeners. We would definitely like to have you there if you want to chat about books with all of us. You can get a hold of us if you would like to do that for any reason by Facebook Messenger or by sending us an email, and that address is thebookbistropodcast at gmail.com. So Amber has offered to start us off this evening, and she'll be followed by Brooke, then by me, and lastly by Stacy. We decided to be alphabetical today. <laughs> so I'm going to turn this over to Amber, and she will tell you about her first book. Okay, so... Um... I decided to be a little different and two of my books are based in the Western part of the United States in like the 1800s. Um, and normally that's not a genre I read. So to have two books kind of capture my attention at the same time was interesting. So the first book I'm going to talk about is called Doc by Mary Doria Russell. Um, and if you can, um, you know, if you have Audible, I would definitely recommend the Audible narrator because he really, really makes the story come to life. So this is the fictional account of Doc Holliday. Um, and it starts out um, when he was, you know, a young man in Georgia um, and how he, you know, how he became the infamous Doc Holliday who participated in like the OK Corral um, and basically what happened to him. Um, if you've seen the movie Tombstone or anything like that, um, that's kind of his story too. But what really captured my attention about this book is, um, you know, it's, it's a fictional biography, basically. It does follow um, his life pretty uh, religiously. You know, it's, it's pretty uh, close to his real life. 
Um, there are some fictional characters in the book, but for the most part, um, they are all people who did live in that, you know, era. And the audible narrator is really what got my attention. Um, he does such a good job with all of the different, you know, accents that he has to do. It really makes the book come alive. And Mary Doria Russell's writing is just gorgeous. Um, so it, I actually have not, to be honest, have not finished the book yet. Um, but I'm just so captivated by it. I can't, um, I can't read it too quickly. It's one of those that I kind of want to savor. Again, that's Doc. Um, that's D-O-C by Mary Doria Russell. I have, what is that called by her? A Thread of Grease, I yes. think, like the World War II one. Yep, and most of her stuff is World War II, so for her to do this one is a little, um, it's kind of a departure for her. I will check it out. And it's on, I'm trying to think, yeah, Audible would probably be the best then if the narrator is that good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm not sure that it's anywhere else. Um, I don't know where okay. else it is. I just got the bard narration, or I mean the audible narration. Cool. So the first book I'm going to talk about tonight is Hotel on the Corner of Bitter and Sweet by Jamie Ford. This book is about Henry Lee. And he is a Chinese-American in Seattle, Washington. The book takes place in 1986, but also we visit the 1940s. So following the death due to cancer of his wife, Henry Lee is walking down the street and comes upon the Panama Hotel and it's under renovation. So the new owners have discovered the belongings of Japanese Americans who had been sent to internment camps. And they're bringing items up from the basement and kind of presenting them to this crowd of people outside the hotel. Well, Henry had a friend back in the 1940s when he was 12 who was a Japanese-American, and watching the owners bring up this stuff has really gotten him thinking about his long-lost friend and his long his like love from when he was younger. So the book kind of goes back to the 1940s, and we kind of get to learn about his relationship with Keiko, the Japanese-American girl. They both went to the same school. Um, Hen Henry's father wanted him to be American and really didn't want him to be proud of his Chinese heritage. So they sent him to an American school on scholarship. And while there, he really didn't have any friends until he met Keiko. And Keiko and him developed this beautiful friendship. And through the book, you kind of get to learn about their friendship. But then sadly, Keiko and her family are sent off to an internment camp. So Henry is really upset about this. And he decides that he's going to try and figure out a way to go and visit Keiko. So he arranges this. And for a while, he gets to go visit Keiko on a pretty regular basis. 
and you learn about their his about sorry you learn about her life in the internment camp and it's kind of a really sad story but at the same time you learn a lot of stuff about it because I I personally have never learned a lot so it was really interesting to me well Keiko and her family end up being sent to another internment camp that's really far away and so her and Henry lose like lose touch and so when this stuff at the Panama Hotel are being brought up from the basement, he remembers this item that he really thinks he'd like to try and find. He remembers that Keiko's family put their stuff into storage at the Panama Hotel. So he decides to go and to see if he can find this one specific item. So he gets his son and daughter-in-law to help him out. And it's just a really nice story about this whole love and how he he remembers it and he kind of wonders like can is Keiko still around and whatever happened to her and can can they get back together so this was hotel on the corner of bitter and sweet by Jamie Ford I need this book in my life that's yes. like such a, a lovely really story. So my first pick takes place in 1911. And it is The Ballroom by Anna Hope. And this came out, I believe, in like 2017. And I loved it a lot. So first of all, this is set in an asylum on the Yorkshire Moors. So it has that very um, atmospheric kind of creepy feel to it, similar in style to like the way the Simone St. James um, Silence for the Dead, only without the ghosts. So this is the story of a group of patients who are being held in this asylum and men and women are kept apart except for one evening a week when they are all made to go downstairs to this huge, beautiful ballroom. And the thing about this ballroom is that the whole asylum is kind of falling down. It's it's not well-maintained, except this ballroom is like the most beautiful part of the whole place. And so a lot of people don't understand why are they maintaining this room, but not the rest of the asylum. So for one evening a week, the patient's mix and mingle and dance and there's this doctor who believes that this is a very important part of what he considers their treatment so our two main characters are john and ella and they are both being held there against their will and you don't fully understand at first if they are actually dealing with mental illness or have they been put there for other sort of more nefarious reasons as was often the case back in the early 1900s. But we also spend some time with the doctor who is in charge of the asylum and we learn that he is not a great human being. Um, He is beginning to study eugenics, which is rather unfortunate. So you follow him, you follow John and Ella, And you are sort of swept back in time to this 
this very creepy, dark asylum where you're not really sure if things are going to turn out well for anyone. Um, I don't want to give away more about what happens because that would be rude and terrible. But I love this <laughs> a lot. It's not a very long read. Um, I think I read it in probably about half a day. And I, I just I really loved it. I felt like the author did a great job looking back at this period of history, looking at mental illness and its treatment, and also how the whole beginning of eugenics like began to play into that, like here in like the Western, the Western world. So this again is The Ballroom, and it is by Anna Hope, and I highly recommend it. So this doesn't sound like something that I would usually read, but I really want to. I need to move it up on my list. That I mean, you made it sound really good. I'm really excited to tell you all about this book because I kind of say it's like the most amazing type of Penny Dreadful or like some sort of like historical soap opera. I don't even know how to describe this book. And that makes it sound trashy. And it was very much not. It was the most amazing thing. It's called The Tea Rose by Jennifer Donnelly. And this book is the first in a trilogy. And it's an incredibly long book. So I'm going to try to do it justice without rambling on forever. This book takes place in London, uh, in Whitechapel in London in the late 1800s, it's 1888. And the backdrop of the first part of this book during the fall of 1888 and winter is when Jack the Ripper was stalking East London and killing prostitutes. And so this whole terrifying event and this whole terrifying time is the backdrop of this book. And the other really interesting historical aspect of this book is that it's about a bunch of um, dock workers who are trying to get fair wages and are trying to unionize because they just want one penny more an hour to help them to survive in the slums of Whitechapel. And amidst all of this, there is a young woman named Fiona and Fiona works in a tea factory and she is amazing at identifying different types of tea by smell and touch and like what ones are good. And her goal is to, with her love, Joe, the two of them are saving up to open their very own tea shop because her goal is to kind of move away from Whitechapel and to kind of try to create a life with a bit more than um, the life that she has with her family right now. And her family is poor but they are very proud that they are um, like a, they're existing well in, in their poverty. They have a house, they have a tenant, they have food every week, they have to stretch their budget, but they are able to survive in the harsh, you know, the thing I like about this book is it, uh, you see the harsh reality of East London and it's not ballrooms and potted palms. It is like people basically struggling every moment of every day to eke out an existence in a very, very, very poor area. So I digress. So Fiona is this lovely young woman and she's going to open a tea shop and she's saving. But then a very unfortunate string of events begins happening to her family um, and kind of upsets her apple cart, shall we say. And uh, all of this culminates in her love kind of being with another woman and it breaks her heart 
And so because of a whole string of events, she ends up going to New York and kind of rising through the ranks of small business owners to become um, this amazing owner of a grocery store and tea shop empire in the U.S. And this book kind of follows her journey from young girl in the slums of East London to a very successful businesswoman um, 12 years later. And, you know, kind of what, what happens to her family, what happens to all of the people in East London that were in her circle and how um, basically how the dock workers kind of figure out how to unionize. And it's just a really amazing story. And I'm not doing it justice. There's love. There's, you know, great tragedy. It reminds me of like, an, you know, like an, a tragic opera or like a penny dreadful. Like it just has all these really epic elements and it is just the most amazing book and I highly encourage you to read The Tea Rose by Jennifer Donnelly. It's the first in a trilogy and if you're reading it on auto, audio, it is, um, it's over 28 hours long. So it's quite a commitment, but it's worth all the time. Just think if you could like read that whole trilogy, you'd have like 70 hours of deliciousness. Oh, you would because the next book in the trilogy is like um, on audio, it's 34 hours. So I haven't even checked to see what the third one is. But the order is the uh, the tea rose, the winter rose, and the wild rose. So beautiful. Okay, so my second one is actually a young adult book. Yeah. Um, and if you have Kindle Unlimited, um, you can actually get it for free, and it comes with the audio companion. Um Ooh. Yeah, so it is called The City of Spies, and it is by Saraya Khan, um, and it is in Pakistan in the 1970s. Um, so it, it is uh, about a girl named Aliyah, and her father um, is like the president, or he's the, you know, the boss of Pakistan's electric, like they only have like one electric company at that point. Um, so they're fairly rich, and she befriends, she goes, she goes to an American school in Pakistan. Um, so basically what happens is she has basically two lives um, because her mother is from the Netherlands and her father is from Pakistan. So she's kind of half white and half Pakistani. Um, so when she goes to the American school, she kind of pretends that she's not really Pakistani and when she's at home with her family, she kind of pretends that she's not really white. Um, so you have those tensions within her and her family. And then what ends up happening is, and I'm not, I'm not really giving anything away. It's in the synopsis. Um, one of her friends, um, one of her friends who's an American, she becomes really close to her. What happens is um, a servant that lives with them, his son gets killed by a diplomat. Um, and it's all about how these different people, American, Pakistani, um, Iran Iranian, you know, are all kind of in this hodgepodge of Pakistan in the 1970s and how each one of them deals with the repercussions of this, um, you know, of this car accident where the little boy, you know, dies. Um, and it was a really interesting book to me because it was young adult, but it really dealt with some pretty serious issues, you know, back in the day. It talked a lot about, you know, how these Americans kind of came into Pakistan and also the Russians. Um, 
you know, they both were trying to influence what was happening, you know, in the lives of these Pakistani people. Um, but I, I really liked it because, you know, amongst the really serious stuff, you know, there was not so serious stuff like um, Alia's grandfather, you know, who's old and pretends like he's deaf, but he's actually not. <laughs> um, so, I mean, you know, there's there's this um, kind of humor in there too, um, but it's so interesting because it's it's kind of mysterious. You don't really know who's doing what until the end. Um, you know, you get all of those tensions and and how they interact. You know, on this one 11 year old girl, and it was just a really unique premise for a young adult book. Like I said, it dealt with a lot of issues that were going on in, in at that time. But you can see how they kind of um, you know, you can see how they kind of reflect history and what's going on now. Um, so again, that's uh, City of Spies by Saraya Khan. I remember seeing you reading this um, on Goodreads a little while yeah. ago. Mm -hmm. So the next book I'm going to talk about tonight is The Paragon Hotel by Yay! Lindsay Faye. Lindsay Faye. Yes, One I of my love favorites. this so much. Sorry. So this is, this is a historical thriller. And Ooh. thrillers are something that I really enjoy reading. So I was excited that I could find a historical thriller. So this book is about a character named Alice Nobody James. So Alice is running away from New York. And she is on a train to Oregon. And we don't really know why she's running away from New York other than we know that she has a gunshot. And you really don't find out much about her whole situation until later in the book. So while she's on the train, she meets a black porter named Max. And Max resides in Oregon. So well, when they reach Oregon, he takes her to this hotel, which happens to be the only all-black hotel in Portland. Well, Alice is a white lady. And so all of the residents are very nervous about having this white woman at their hotel. But Max feels that it's the best place for her to be so that she can heal up and so that he can take care of her and stuff like that. So you really don't know why all these people are so scared. But then we learn that the Ku Klux Klan is very busy in Portland. They're busy in politics. They're busy in everyday life. So really, it's a really big concern for the people of the Paragon Hotel. Um, well, as Alice is healing, she begins to develop friendships with different residents within the hotel. Each room is kind of in a way, has their own history. So each person kind of has their own reason for being at the hotel and their own background. And you really don't get to know a lot about a lot of them. 
but you do get to know about one of the characters and her name is Blossom Fontaine. And we learn a lot about her and she's a very, she's a very interesting character. Well, at some point in the whole healing process, one of the residents goes missing. It's a young boy and his name is Davy. And he, nobody really wants to go find him. Like, uh, well, the residents do, but the police aren't interested and there's nobody there to help him. So Alice, along with some of the residents of the hotel, go off to find Davy. And they find out that he's in, that the Ku Klux, that the Ku Klux Klan, sorry, that the Ku Klux Klan has him. So they rescue him and then they bring him back and we all kind of wonder like what is the whole story behind Davy and why is he he's a really young kid and like why is he at the hotel and who like who who does he belong to and you really don't get to know this until you get kind of close to the end well with all the stories that are kind of contained within this hotel it just was a really good book to read. So it's The Paragon Hotel by Lindsay Fay. And if you get it from Audible, the fantastic January Lavoy reads it. Oh, I love her. So can we talk about the plague now? Can we? Oh, can, can we, we can please? I love talking about the plague. Yes, we have to talk plague. about the plague. Yes. And I think I know what book you're going to talk about, and I love it. Yes, I love it too. Yeah. So this is Year of Wonder Yay! by Geraldine Brooke. And this came out, I think, originally in like 2001 or 2002. Um, and I didn't read it right when it came out. I read it probably four or five years later. Um, and it is the story of a young woman named Anna. And she lives in this remote English village. And one day, a bolt of cloth is brought to the village, um, and it contains the plague. Oh, God. This takes As place in 16... Yes. Yes. <laughs> this takes place in, like, 1666, so you know <laughs> that plague was, was running rampant at that time. So pretty much anyone who comes in contact with this cloth is infected, and this is a very big problem. So the residents of this village kind of decide that they're going to like close themselves away. They're not going to let people in. They don't really want people to go out. And basically this is a story of the survival of one village and how originally, you know, people are are concerned about each other and then they kind of begin to turn on each other and there are some like witch hunting things that happen. There's a lot of like not nice behavior that when you first start reading, you don't necessarily expect because these seem to be very like upstanding people. You don't necessarily think that they're going to turn on each other. And yet as you see it happen, you can kind of like understand why but above all, this is Anna's story and the story of her kind of coming of age and the things that she learns about herself and her ability to hold on to her, to her humanity in the face of, you know, this really distressing set of circumstances that 
are befalling her right now. Um, we see things exclusively from her perspective. So you don't get a lot of information that Anna herself doesn't have. And sometimes that can feel a little bit narrow in a historical novel, but I really enjoyed spending this time in Anna's head and seeing her grow both you know, physically and emotionally and just learn a lot about herself and about the human race as a whole. So this is a fantastic book if you enjoy reading about the plague, as many of us do. Um, it really does a great job highlighting the, the superstitions and the lack of medical awareness that existed during you know, the, the 1600s. So this again is Year of Wonder and it is by Geraldine Brooke and I love it. I think I need to read it. I feel like I'm it's a broken really record, good. but yes. Yeah. Keeping with with the theme of plague and pandemic, um, I have this really almost like morbid phobic fascination with pandemics, and mm-hmm. so um, I don't know why. I think it's because I am just terrified at the prospect of an outbreak of that magnitude. So of course, one of my top reads um, of 2018 is called As Bright as Heaven. And it's by Susan Meisner. And this book takes place in Philadelphia in 1918. And it is uh, told from the point of view of Pauline Bright and her three daughters, Evelyn, Maggie, and Willa. And the husband, the father, Mr. Bright, um, they are, their tobacco farmers are out somewhere in kind of rural Pennsylvania. And he, Mr. Bright, is offered the opportunity to come to Philadelphia to learn how to be um, basically an undertaker um, and to be a funeral home director because that's what his uncle's job is. And he's getting older now. He doesn't have any children. And he wants to leave the business to Mr. Bright. So the family packs up. They say goodbye to their tobacco leaves and they go off to Philadelphia in the spring of 1918. And it's a very, you know, when you, when you go from the farmland to this very modern city, um, you know, it, it was a very exciting time that the three girls are kind of learning, they're making friends, they're going to these schools. And, um, but the, the middle girl, her name is Maggie. She's very fascinated by um, what goes on behind the doors in the funeral parlor, in the funeral home. And so is her mother, Pauline. And so it's kind of how the first, you know, bit of the book is about how the family kind of figures out their place in this new, you know, in this new city. Well, then all of a sudden in the fall of 1918, Mr. Bright, who is uh, he has to go off to war. And so the the women of the family all remain with um, the uncle at the funeral home and so shortly after the war begins, there's a huge parade through Philadelphia. And one of my historical friends can probably tell me what that day was called. I'm completely blanking on it. It's, it's to get donations for the war effort. Um, huh. And I'm completely blanking. I know what it's called. I just, I lost it. Anyway, so the entire city is out and about in force. And that's when the influenza epidemic comes to town. And everything changes. And this book does a really nice job of kind of going through the progression of, you know, a city first kind of having, you know, there's some people who are ill. And then all of a sudden schools and churches are closing. And, and you know, the um, 
that the girls are at school and like all of a sudden, like there's desks all over the classroom that are empty more and more every day. Um, and the, the city begins kind of shutting down as people are kind of dealing with this, this massive number of people who are being um, affected by the flu. And of course, the funeral home is just at capacity. They're just like stacking up these bodies everywhere. So again, it's my morbid fascination with all things of this nature. And during this time, the family decides they're going to help um, the flu victims in some of the neighborhoods. And um, in the midst of all this tragedy, they um, they rescue an orphaned baby. And this young, this baby boy kind of changes the course of all of their lives um, and brings some hope back into a very, very bleak situation. And this book kind of continues on into the early 20s as all of these young women kind of grow up um, and kind of learn, you know, the, just the, the consequences of the, of the flu epidemic of 1918 were long reaching and kind of impacted each of the family members in different ways. Um, but it was just a really wonderful book. It had a lot of very, I would say it was, it seems like the author did a lot of research. It felt very, I mean, I didn't live in 1918, obviously, but really? it felt very, I, I know, I'm, mm. <laughs> um, but it felt very historically accurate to me. Um, and it was just a really well-written story about how a family pulled together in a time of great tragedy and crisis. Um, and it was just a really beautiful story and I loved it so much. So um, I was trying to decide between The Last Year of the War by Susan Meisner, which is her newest book, which is also amazing. But I had to choose As Bright as Heaven because it was just such a beautiful, stark and hopeful story. So my last book is Whiskey When We're Dry. Um, <laughs> it, it is by John, and I'm probably going to slaughter his last name. I think it's Larison, L-A-R-I-S-O-N. Um, and this takes place in 18, starting in 1885, um, and we meet Jessie Lynn um, and her family. Uh, it is Jessie Lynn, her father, and her older brother, Noah, and they're living on a homestead in an unnamed state. I think it's probably Utah, but it actually does not name what state um, it is. And Jessie Lynn, Jesse Lynn's mother died giving birth to her so she's raised on this homestead by her father and her older brother um she learns fairly quickly to do you know all the women's work of the family you know the washing and the laundry and the cooking um but she also learns from her father and more notably from her older brother noah how to be a sharpshooter hmm. um and she practices the skill you know when her father's not around um and, you know, her brother Noah kind of knows, you know, what she does, but not to the extent of how good she is. Um, and Noah and her father, as men want to do, they fight and argue. And eventually her brother Noah leaves and he becomes an outlaw. Cool. Um, and Jesse Lynn is now living with her father. And at uh Right before Noah left, he and the father got in a very violent argument, and Noah ended up giving the father a brain injury um, before, and that's why he left. Um, so for the last few years of his life, Jesse Lynn is taking care of her father, um, and he's not very well, um, and he eventually dies. That's not a spoiler. Um, and 
Jessie Lynn decides that she is going to, some things happen, and she decides she's going to, um, she decides she's going to dress up as a boy and go find her brother. Um, you know, she wants to know why he kind of became the outlaw that he did. Uh, she wants to be with him because he is still her older brother. So she goes on this, I don't want to say quest, but sort of quest, dressed up as a boy to go find her brother. Um, she is brought into the orbit of the governor of this new state. Um, he is looking for a sharpshooter to basically be his personal sharpshooter. And he hires her, of course, not knowing that she is a boy. Um, and it just goes through her adventures, um, you know, as a boy in the West, but really being a girl. Um, I really like this because there are some same-sex same relationships in this book, which is really rare for that time period and to be discussed in that time period. Um, obviously, there's, you know, some cross-dressing aspects. And it's just interesting to see what Jesse as a man can do that Jesse Lynn as a woman can't. Um, so it was a really interesting book um, with a lot of different social aspects, you know, that are still relevant today, but in that casing of you know 1880s in the west so again that's um, whiskey when we're dry by john larison i feel like that would be a really vivid vibrant backdrop to this story just it like really the old west and just yeah. how big and bold you can make these characters in this story does that make yeah. sense like it does yeah. because she is not i mean i'm not really giving a lot away but she is not the only cross-dressing woman in this book. But oh the God. way it's done, <laughs> the way it's done is not, it's, you know, it's believable, uh -huh. um, which is really, you know, because sometimes when you do like cross-dressing stuff, a lot of it can be kind of flamboyant and overdone. And this was not. And I have to say that, like, I started this book and then I had insomnia, as I often do, and I pretty much finished it in a night. Um, you know, that's kind of the way that it was, and it was really, really oh, a good book. I love when books do that, when you're like, yeah. I have insomnia, but it's okay, because <laughs> <Who cares>? yeah, <laughs> exactly. I'm just reading this great book right now. So the last book I'm going to talk about tonight is The Dollhouse by Yona oh, Davis. Oh, 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 yes. Yes. So I don't know why. But all three books I chose are about hotels. <laughs> That's so, true. I know. So I thought that was really funny because I thought about it later when I was looking to make sure I had the right name of the hotel for this this book. So then I was like, hey, I'm right, I'm talking about hotels. So this book takes place in two different time periods. There's the present day, which is kind of like right now. And then the night in 1952. Um, so in t the time period right now, we have Rose, who is a journalist. And she's going through a really tough time. She has broken up with her guy. And she is kind of trying to find herself now that she no longer has this relationship. While kind of 
trying to find herself, she discovers this mysterious resident of the building that she lives in. And she kind of wants to know more about this resident. It happens to be her neighbor downstairs. So then we go into the 1952. So this building used that Rose lives in, that is a condo right now. It used to be the Barbizon Hotel and it's for women. And it's kind of the place where women went to learn how to be secretaries, models, or editors. And it's kind of a place where women kind of learned how to be proper women. And this is where we get to meet Darby. Darby is at the Barbizon Hotel to be a model. And unlike the other people that are there, she's very much a plain person. She's not really beautiful. She's very, she doesn't really have self-confidence. She really wants to be at home. She doesn't want to be there. And as a result, she really doesn't get to know many of the people on her floor. And she really doesn't get to be friends with anybody. She gets to know one of the maids, um, um, Esme, Esma, Esme, Esme, I think it's Esme, E-S-M-E. So she gets to know Esme and Esme introduces um, Darby to a whole other world, to like the jazz world where it's kind of the seedy underbelly of of the area. And while there, she meets different people and she kind of meets a guy that she really likes. And Darby and Esme, they run into the situation where Esme ends up dead. And they don't really know why. We don't really find out why until later. And there's this whole mysterious kind of situation behind the death of Esme and it kind of leads back to present day so Rose knows about this sort of mysterious death and she wants to know the whole story behind it so she kind of starts investigating and her investigation gets a little unethical but a little I I know (laughs) I can't really give it away but it's very unethical (laughs) and she kind of learns more and more about Darby and through her discoveries Darby becomes less mysterious and Rose kind of discovers herself so this book was called The Dollhouse and it is by Fiona Davis so my last pick just came out the day before we're recording this so by the time we uh, you hear it It will have been out for a while. This is a book that I wasn't sure I was actually going to read because like Amber, I tend to prefer my historicals a little bit more mm, historical. (laughs) And this book takes place in 1965. But once I started it, I was really, really hooked in. So I continued. So this is Park Avenue Summer. And it is the latest novel by Renee Rosen, who I've read before and really enjoyed. So this just sort of confirms my 
earlier opinion of her stellarness. So this is the story of Alice Weiss, and she leaves her small town in Ohio for New York City, where she hopes to become a photographer. But in 1965, it's not so easy for a young single woman to kind of break into that world. So she ends up needing to find some other kind of work. Through some connections that she manages to forge, she is able to get an interview with the new editor of the Cosmopolitan magazine. And this is a very unconventional woman. Her name is Helen Gurley Brown. And in the early 60s, she wrote a book called Sex and the Single Girl. And this was very controversial for the time. And the people who hired her kind of did it without really knowing like what they were getting themselves into. And now that she's hired as the editor, they just don't know how this is going to turn out. Nothing about this seems good to them. So Alice becomes her secretary. And together, they begin to turn Cosmopolitan magazine into something like very, very different from most things the world is used to at the time. Helen is so so much more liberal-minded than her contemporaries. And she wants to speak to the young women who read her magazine about things that have always been taboo. So her articles are much more risque than people are used to. And this causes a lot of problems. In fact, it seems that someone might just be out to sabotage Helen and her kind of dream for what Cosmopolitan magazine would become. So this is the story of Helen and her sort of makeover of Cosmo, but also it's the story of Alice and her journey to really understand what it is to be a young and independent woman in the 60s. And should she settle for the role that most of the men in her life want her to step into or should she really break out and follow her dream to become a photographer so this is one of those books that you sort of feel like it might be limited to one genre like maybe it's just going to be a straight up historical novel there's not going to be much intrigue not going to be any romance it's just kind of historical and yet rosen manages to bring little touches of other genres into her work so that they're just really compelling, no matter what your personal taste in reading is. I mean, obviously, if you want to read a book about, I don't know, the Roman Empire, um, which, you know, <laughs> I've, I've enjoyed every now and then, um, you won't find that here. But for most of you are just, you know, if you like romance, you'll find a bit of that. If you like some intrigue, you'll find that here as well. So this is just a phenomenal read that gave me a look into like that magazine world that I really don't know very much about. So I enjoyed this a lot and I highly recommend it. This again is Park Avenue Summer and it is the latest book by Renee Rosen. So I have to ask, have you read Sex and the Single Girl before? Like, do we know? No. Like right <laughs> now, like, how risque is that for the times now? Like, I'm just curious. Like, well, what from what I can gather from like, the things that it talk, you know, that it mentions in the the Rosen novel, mm -hmm. uh, sex and the single girl 
talks a lot about women using their bodies like to their advantage. So if you want a promotion, (laughs) apparently, according to this book, you can sleep with your boss to get it. Like, that's fine. That's just sort of using your like using, I don't know, what you've been given, I guess. So it's this woman who's going to build this magazine into like the empire that it is today. But methods that would typically not be revered in today's society but back in 1965 it was her way of kind of getting herself kind of noticed is that I I would say so I mean without having actually like read this book I like the the book that she actually wrote I can't say for sure but that's that's what I would gather wow I need to Look, I need to check that out. Not Sex and the Single Girl. I mean, I need to check that out. <laughs> Which one do you want to check out? The Renee Rosen. <laughs> so my last book is one that I'm really excited to talk about. It is probably, I'm going to say this a lot, I'm sure, this year. But I, I feel like this is going to be one of my top reads of 2019. And for some reason, I never jumped on the Kate Quinn bandwagon. Like, I never read the Alice Network. So as much as this author was intriguing to me, my this is my first read by her. And this book is The Huntress by Kate Quinn. Can I and interrupt you to say that if you like reading about the Roman Empire, you could read her Mistress <laughs> of Rome series? Yes. It's phenomenal. <laughs> So and it does could, take place in the Roman Empire, right? Yes. Yes. You could totally yes. read it. And this book was incredible. It was told in three points of view. We learned about Ian, Nina, and Jordan. So in Ian's sections of the book, he is a reporter who went around and was basically there for all of the major events of World War II and basically witnessing all the things that he witnessed and the deaths and the, you know, the danger after world war two, he, he just felt like he couldn't write anymore, but what he felt like he could contribute to the world was bringing Nazis to justice who were, you know, trying to hide in plain sight. So he can't write anymore, but he can kind of be like this, like undercover investigator with his, with his partner um, who speaks like a million languages and just kind of like goes undercover and, and, and flirts with old ladies and, and helps him get the information he needs and, and to kind of bring these Nazi spies or Nazi sympathizers to justice. And, you know, it's, it's really interesting because after World War II, I kind of get the impression that people just wanted to sweep all of the horror of it under the rug, like in Germany. Like once the war was over, it was like, oh, well, all these horrible things happened, but they, they happened because we didn't have any choice. And so all these like Nazis are trying to live lives, you know, apart from the horrific things that they've done. And Ian feels like these people need to be brought to justice. So that's what he's doing. And then we also get the point of view of Nina, who is from Russia and a very frozen, um, very impoverished area of Russia. And Nina decides that her life's goal, her life stream is to be um, a pilot and so as World War II is commencing, she joins the legendary Night Witches. Um, and I had never even learned about the Night Witches until I read an Amy K. Runyon book a few months ago um, called Daughters of the Night Sky, which, which dealt with the Night Witches. And these are Russian women pilots who bomb um, different German camps. So this, this story kind of talks about Nina and how she basically, you know, her experience during World War II and how she was um, 
the only person to ever escape um, a legendary Nazi called the Huntress um, alive. And then we have Jordan, who is a 17-year-old girl in post-World War II Boston. And Jordan is very happy because her father, after 10 years of being a widow, is bringing home a woman and her little daughter. Um, and she is a World War II, a German World War II widow, and he is going to marry her. And she's gentle and soft-spoken and lovely and really stands up for Jordan and is just this delightful woman. But something about her for Jordan doesn't quite ring true. And so these are the three points of view of this novel. And finally, at one point, all of these points of view converge um, as all of these people are looking for this Nazi called the Huntress. And I don't want to say anything else about this book because it'll give it away, but it is one of the most epic books I've ever read in my life. And it was so tightly plotted and there was not one extra moment of anything that happened that was like too long. You know, it, it was perfectly written, so tightly plotted. It was action packed. And what I loved most about this book is that, you know, the good people weren't all good. The villains weren't just all bad. Like it was very much um, sort of an, exploration of human nature and just it was just one of the most beautiful books I've read in quite a while so if you want a really good historical novel that focuses on World War II era and you know Nazis and you know justice and romance and intrigue try The Huntress by Kate Quinn and I think that you'll be very happy with this book. This keeps moving up my list like closer and closer to the top. Oh my gosh. <laughs> All right well that does it for us tonight. I want to thank Brooke and Stacy for sharing some fantastic historical fiction recommendations with us. Thanks, of course, goes out to Amber for joining us for what we hope will not be the last time. We would definitely love to have you back amongst us to talk about more fantastic books. And I have to thank Christine for the wonderful editing that she does for each and every Book Bistro episode. But most importantly, I have to thank everyone who tunes in each week. And we really appreciate you taking the time to hang out with us and hear us discuss books. We hope that we have in this episode, as well as in every other, we have managed to provide you with some fantastic book recommendations. If you would like to let us know your thoughts, you can do that by leaving us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts or any other platform you use to access the show. And not only does it allow us to see your feedback, but it also helps other book lovers to find us, which is a great thing. So I will be back next Tuesday morning with more bookish fabulousness. And some number of us will be back on Friday with more discussion of great books. Take care, everybody.